You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. And the hits just keep on coming. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. What's going on, Grump? Still a little jet lag from the big trip out west for a, you know, another episode of just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. Well, it did. Yeah. Uh, man. At this point, I mean, I, I, I was – this was the last game that I could see us winning. And after the first play, not including the kickoff, all I could do was laugh because I already knew how it was going to end. It, this was a pure quit job. Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to say sometimes, you know, teams play with pride, but you can count a lot of people on this team and we'll pick on one specifically, one we knew was a chump even in college that basically just quit on his teammates on, on Sunday and it was really disgusting and an embarrassing performance, quite frankly. It wasn't made just him team. though. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but, uh, you know, just, just generally speaking, um, this game ended 31-21, but it was not even that close. Um the Giants' last seven points came, I think, with under a minute left in the game. It was I, extreme. Gar- it was extreme garbage time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, of the long-lasting effects of this game, I think one of the most important ones is that, uh, you know, Justin Pugh left the game very early, and Damon Harrison left early. I'm not even sure of the nature of Damon Harrison's injury. I, I know it was like an ankle injury, but he did get carted into the locker room. I haven't heard anything more about that, have you? It was an ankle injury, yeah. I don't know how bad it was. They haven't released anything yet. Uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday night uh, this week uh, due to the travel getting back from the West Coast and everything. But, um, yeah, nothing nothing more that I've heard about it. So, Yeah, I mean, those those are the lasting effects from this. I mean, you know, this season is lost, but, you know, these guys' careers are still, you know – it, it, not just important for themselves, but also important for the Giants, as they're both, you know, Pew's a free agent, um, a very important one for this team, and Snacks is a recently signed free agent from, you know, last offseason, and definitely a part of their plans moving forward. So this, these are important injuries to watch. Yeah, I mean, Snacks has been the best player on defense this year, I think. I mean, we haven't really, you know, we're, we're, we're falling further and further into the abyss, and at some point we'll kind of evaluate you know, the garbage and the guys are actually playing, but he's, he's actually had a pretty decent year. And if he goes down, you know, now what? Another hole springs in the, uh, yeah. In the dike. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's been the most consistent. Other guys have flashed, you know, Landon Collins is definitely a guy who needs some help around him, but he has at times flashed this year, but not nearly what he was last year. No, like, yeah, like I said, he needs a, a defense around him to perform and let him do his stuff and, you know, kind of roam the line of scrimmage or drop into coverage. You know, he's versatile enough to do whatever, but he's very good down low. Um, one of the guys well, – well, and this is a perfect segue. One of the guys who was locked down at the beginning of the year was Janoris Jenkins. And I mean lockdown. Um, the first, I think, six games of the year, he really locked down everybody. And it, it he didn't really start to come apart until the Denver game where he was getting beat. But I mean, admittedly by one of the best receivers in the game. And it was after that point that we just saw him completely quit on this team. Yeah. I mean, I know Jordan Jenkins back from college, one of Urban Meyer's signees at Florida. The guy got busted for uh, smoking the doge twice, um, changing, 
change in coaching staff, Will Muschamp, gives him another chance. He gets busted again, gets thrown out of UF, ends up at South Alabama, you know, plays obviously a men among boys, but, you know, he's always been a punk and, you know, the act he pulled to get suspended, followed by, you know, what I saw in that one player before the end of the half, to me, I would just assume cut his ass. I, and there's no need for a cancer like that on this team. I don't care what he makes. You know, we're assuming, and we'll, we'll get into this in a minute, that there'll probably be a new coaching staff next year, a chance to start fresh. And I can't see, when you see a performance like that, what the value is in keeping the guy. For those who were lucky enough not to watch the game, I mean, he got roasted on one play deep, but I mean, most of it was just his attempts at tackling were simply standing there and watching. And I mean it, like watching the guy go around him. The one at the end of the first half was one of the most abysmal plays I've ever seen. He was basically stand up, had the guy square up. He made one slight move and he didn't even do anything. He just kind of stood there and went right around him. It was, it was, it was horrible. And it was one of those things where people were looking at me in the stands like, you have any explanation for this? And I was like, nope. You just saw a quitter. Yeah. Um, I, I think the most apt word for it was uh, unprofessional. That was an unprofessional yeah. uh, play from – so what I thought was interesting was the fact that he wasn't benched. What did you think of that? Yeah. I mean I, I don't know what this coaching staff is thinking at this point. I mean they are still under some sort of belief that they have a shot at a, a playoff spot. I mean it explains why you know Eli Manning is playing every snap, you know, why someone like Davis Webb isn't even, uh, you know, on the active list. It's why you're seeing, you know, a lot of these guys playing longer than they should, and this this season's over. So I, you know, you're hearing the same coach speak from McAdoo. You know, I think I still think there could be a run in this team. Blah blah blah. Probably not so much anymore after the game, but you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 to me, some things are bigger than the game and bigger than wins losses. It's you know. It's a culture that you have for a team. And for a head coach where, you know, we've been criticizing the guy for saying that he he's consistent that he treats everybody differently. Well, he's treating the same person differently on a week-to-week basis. He suspends a guy for a week for not showing up and then does something, basically doesn't show up on the field, and he keeps playing. So, you know, the harder and harder this coach is to read by his players, the more and more he's going to lose this team. And if you think it's bad now, it can only get worse. There's still, you know, four more home games of this garbage. Yeah, there's seven where it can games get really left. ugly. There's seven games left. There's all half a season. You know, you think it's bad now. What happens in, uh, you know, in December when there's fifty thousand Eagle fans only have to drive an hour and a half up the Turnpike and that place is green? You know, what happens when all the bandwagon cowboy fans show up? What happens in the last week of the season when? You know, Washington may be fighting for a playoff spot. All of a sudden makes this uh, FedEx field north. You think it's embarrassing now? <laughs> what happens when you get, you know, your ass kicked in front of you know, a home game with all the opposing fans? It can get very worse. Yeah, and the, the, the quote from Wellington Mara was, I can deal with the fans booing because that means that they care. What I can't deal with is fans not showing up. And we're at that point now. And I can tell you we're at that point, the Rams game. And this Sunday, playing Kansas City, you know, you might not see that that much red, and you'll see some bandwagon red fans, but, you know, we finished the season at home with three division teams, all, you know, two of them in super close proximity, and one is just a, you know, a regional bandwagon team. Yeah, you might see some ugliness in the stands, because, you know, they're all going to be talking a lot of garbage, 
and you're going to see a lot of fights and stuff in the, in the fans in the seats. So this is not going to be pretty the rest of the year. And if they continue to Jake on the field, like they have been, everybody's going to be in a pissed off mood. Yeah. So, you know, we've debated back and forth and we're probably going to continue debating back and forth, uh, you know, McAdoo's longevity. And I'm on the fence. I don't know how I feel. I think I'm split 50, 50. I could just as easily see him gone at the end of the year as I could him staying. Um, so the the things that you know I remember John Mara saying some years ago the loss in Jacksonville to the to a shit Jaguars team was a big turning point in the way he viewed this team and it was, it was Thanksgiving 3 years ago when we lost to that uh, we blew a big lead against Jacksonville on the road right and he and he basically said he was ready to fire Coughlin that night but he they never make rash decisions and he thought about it and said we'll keep him to the off season and we reevaluate but and, but, but what happened Coughlin in that offseason is what I'm saying. They brought McAdoo in. Yeah, McAdoo was the big thing they brought in. Yeah. So that's my point. Um, and McAdoo eventually became Tom Coughlin's successor. But the point is is that you know that was not nearly as egregious as a team not even showing up to an 0-9 San Francisco team. That's worse. And you yeah. could see that there was a, a live camera shot of John Mayer just pacing in the owner's box. Uh, or whatever suite he's in on visiting fields, uh, and I could just I could just think of that end of the year press conference where he said that the Jaguars game was an eye opener for him. You know, this to me, there's a number of things here, like not benching Janoris Jenkins, uh, just a complete mishandle of the whole team. At this point, it's the only thing getting these guys to show up is paychecks and other guys getting them to show up. I'm not sure that Ben McAdoo is the one that's getting them to show up. You know, the the professionals show up and therefore the unprofessionals just kind of follow along. Um, there's that. And there's the fact that I just don't think that Ben McAdoo's offense works. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I was a fan immediately when he was brought in because I could see it working. And then, you know, throughout the years now, we've been seeing this constant stream of, well, they're in the 11 formation 96% of the time. And I'm not seeing any changes i had made excuses for him in that you know perhaps the 11 formation is just you know the only part of his offense that they're able to run because of deficiencies to the offensive line etc cetera, etc cetera. but there's just no excuse anymore I, this offense just simply doesn't put up points and well, i mean, let, I mean let, let's be fair again now what's the offense the offensive line we all bitched about in the offseason they didn't improve what is the offensive line now in week 10 as opposed to week one you know we don't have our two best offensive linemen are not playing anymore, right? I mean, we're, we're, we have uh, – actually, you know who our best offensive lineman is right now? Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers, yeah. <laughs> actually, so he's improved. Yeah. But again, your two best guys are not playing. We've had a shuffle. We're not going from depth to bring other guys in. We're shuffling guys all over the place. So right there, that's well, a big problem. Well, you know, I, I, the, look, guy, the guy who announces you're starting running back isn't even playing you know, in the offseason. Eli is – more and more either making dumb decisions or he's having this incredible fumble, lose the ball problem once a game. Uh, you know, the, who's our receivers? There's no Beckham. There's no Marshall. There's no – so I don't, I'm really not ready to say – Yeah, but this you're looking at it in a vacuum. Work. You can't just look at this year. I'm saying cumulatively this offense doesn't work. Last year it didn't work and last year was the most healthy a football team has ever been in the history of football. Yeah, but we also were pitching that – we didn't improve a bad offensive line, so there's the offensive line issue. Yeah, yeah, but We're very, very pedestrian. I, with no tight ends, very pedestrian running backs last year. 
I mean, it was it was a product of the of the talent. No, I, I don't know. I think it's both. You know, it's one thing if we were running the full gamut of his diner menu uh, offense, and you could see it's not working. But and at this point. Like, okay, you can say that the injuries to the offensive line, but did you think that the offensive line was an issue on Sunday? Because it's not what I saw. I understand that there's issues at receiver and, you know, last year there were issues at tight end. But, I mean, Eli Manning for all his bullshit yesterday, uh, Sunday with his fumble, you know, he went 28 of 37 for 273 yards. He threw two touchdown passes. I mean, I know some of that's garbage time too, but – I I just I I haven't the worst team in the league. <laughs> I haven't I mean, seen this <laughs> offense work. I I it's been since Ben McAdoo's time as offensive coordinator only. There has been a lack of commitment to the run. Uh, that's that's important to note. But I mean, to me, that's still falling back on the this offense. And a lot of the times, I it's really easy for us to slam the the blocking. It's also easy for us to say these uh, running backs are pedestrian. But. There is something to be said that every run is coming out of the eleven formation shotgun. On on third and short, fourth and short, these runs are not designed to be like. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. sometimes you get a home run out of that where you get five yards or something, but most of the time, like your best runs are going to come in a power formation or something. But it. it I don't know. If I don't it's know. predictable, I, I don't know. We, this has been going back for the last couple of years now with Ben McAdoo. But if it's predictable for the fans, and tr- it's predictable for everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because it's a lack of wide receivers that they can't get any more creative right now. I mean, guys like Tavares King and, and Roger Lewis Jr. are running around, but is there any faith in them really to do anything other than just base plays? Yeah. And give these other guys get other guys like a blow. Just those, those, yeah, those, those are kind of like your fourth wide receiver guys that go in there in case of injury. Yeah. You know, or you yeah. get four wide or something like that. And now, if you decide that the offense doesn't work and you're going to take Ben McAdoo's offense out, now you have him strictly as a head coach running somebody else's offense. Doesn't make any sense because he has not. It is indisputable that he has not shown that he's a good head coach. He yeah, may be, not, but he, he hasn't shown it. And maybe he will be someday, but right now he's still in over his head. And you're right. You know he's trying to, he's trying to do too much when he doesn't have that experience. I don't think he's got that leader mentality either. I mean, I think a lot of it is, I, I don't know. So sometimes, sometimes just you need to clean house just to start over because that stink is there. Yeah. You know, I call it the, you know, the, the stink of losing. And sometimes when that stink is of losing's on there, you might see progression in the coach from year one to year two. But we've fallen so far and so fast. Sometimes a gradual thing like a Coughlin where it's slowly descending. It's like, well, I'll give it another year and it started off this thing. We've fallen off a cliff yeah. in, in in 10 months. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how fast this team has fallen into the toilet. And against X percent of that is injuries and stuff. But really, it's it's ridiculous. In a separate discussion, Jerry Reese's job may be just as gone. But if you're looking to – the Maras and the Tishes will not allow another one-win season to happen after this year. Um, it just – they will not let it happen. But changing the GM is not going to change your record in one year. It's going to have to be – the GM is a bonus, I mean, if he if he gets switched out. but Well, I think it's a, I think it's a philosophy that has to change. I mean, yeah. I think the philosophy, the philosophy of – of not worrying about your offensive line, not worrying about getting linebackers, you know, spending money on the outside, working your way sort of in, I think has to change. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, and I, I think you, you, at a certain point, change is good on a team. 
You know, what's the average tenure of a GM in the, in the National Football League? I I, 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 I wouldn't. The I average wouldn't, is pretty low, but there are a, a few there outliers. There's a couple of outliers. Um, some of them are owners, <laughs> but you know, I I, I think um, it's not bad to set the reset button. And if you're you have the opportunity to bring in a GM who can bring in his coach, you have ownership and investment into that coach. You know, now's the time to do it when both of them are. You know. When you hit rock bottom, it gives you the opportunity to do these things. Yeah, we, we I, talked about it last episode. We said that you know Reese was on the hot seat two years ago, and he was called out for it. You know, what my biggest complaint is about Jerry Reese, Ben McAdoo. Yeah, well, he hired the head coach. Yeah, and so and and some people can say, and we thought about it at the time too, that that was a hire to prevent him from going somewhere else. That they, oh man, you know, had, if only he went to the Eagles, how much better this yeah. would be, right? Now. No kidding. Guess what? <laughs> what are they now? Nine and one? You know, and even we made fun of Peterson last year, but now all of a sudden, you know, even the biggest skeptics of him last year are like, yeah, hey, he's a pretty good coach. I thought he was a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> and now, so, I mean, you know, preliminary me bored as hell reading, um, you know, the preliminary head coach search is including their current quarterbacks coach, the Eagles quarterbacks coach. So how's that for a 180? Yeah, no kidding. So – you know, I think drafting is something, you know, you can look at the draft, you know, in any different way. Yeah. You, you, we draft guys that don't pan out. Is that because of a bad pick in talent or is it a lack of talent development by your coaching staffs? Or is it bad scouting? Or is it bad scouting? Yeah. Um, well, while we're on the subject, um, there's three draft picks I want to talk about. And I thought that all three of them had a good game. Um, Evan Ingram is the first. Evan Ingram has been consistent on offense. Sure. And and what's more impressive about Evan Ingram is that he's really the only guy you've got to cover and he's still getting open. That's encouraging for me. Um, I hope that he is only just starting to touch his potential. I don't really know. Um, he's certainly getting better week to week in blocking. There's a significant improvement every week with his blocking. Um, I'm not saying he's not improving at receiving. It's just you know the route combos and timing and stuff is something that happens naturally i'm not sure how much of his of it is his improvement and how much of it is just getting in a system mm-hmm. um but i mean he's one draft pick right there i i'm thinking is a was a slam dunk uh i i had my doubts when he was picked but i i'm impressed um the other draft pick that's important for me to, to touch on is sterling shepherd came back in a huge way yeah um he had 142 yards and 11 catches, and yeah, you know, he had one catch down the sideline that was reviewed. It was so close, but it was outstanding one-handed catch. But it was more outstanding because the the pass was a little bit overthrown, partly to protect you know the ball. Uh, he's just kind of giving Sterling Shepard a chance, but there's no chance for an interception. Um, and you know he he sort of had to die for it. It, it was outstanding catch on the sideline. Um, and then he had another one really, really late in the game at garbage time. But what was important was he put on the sickest move in the open field where he just sort of stomped oh, down God. to the left. And, like, he juked me out of my shoes. I was sitting on the couch. So Yeah, that was a, that was a reminder of when Iverson juked out Michael Jordan, that oh, famous yeah. uh, With the crossover. It was almost the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that, that was outstanding. And he's another guy. It, it's hard for me to believe that he fell to the second round of the draft. Um, yeah. and And significantly down, too. He was, you know, he wasn't picked at the top of the second round, but you know, he's another one that looks like a slam dunk, and he had a good game. Um, I, mean, I just 
want to call out the guys who are trying and not just Definitely. trying, but, but performing. And, those la- and the last two guys you mentioned are playing kind of like a pay grade above where they should be right now. Oh, like sure. Evan, yeah. I, I mean, like Shepard right now has to be the number one receiver. He's not a number one receiver. Yeah. You know, Evan Ingram has to play basically as a wide receiver, and he's not a wide receiver. So these guys are being asked to do things above and beyond mm-hmm. what they prepared for when the season started. So that makes it even more impressive. And that versatility will come back in benefit You know, when we're back to a full roster and a full complement of weapons that we can do different things with them that we may not have thought we could before the season started. Yeah, and that's sort of the shit of it. I understand that you know this season had its problems right from the get-go, but – we never saw these guys all playing at the same time, did we? We never really saw this version of Shepard coming off of his preseason practice ankle injury, playing with Beckham, playing you know without his preseason ankle injury, playing with Ingram, you know, developing under the system. We just that, we never got to that, fucking see it, and that's what sucks. Not with Brandon Marshall, you know, yeah. another guy. Yeah. Not with not with the healthiest of offensive lines. Yeah. to protect. So. Yeah, it's just a shame is we're seeing all the different pieces firing at different times, which, it, you know, whatever. It is what it is. You can complain all we want. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about, we, we talked about at the very beginning of the season on what was going to have to happen here, but Eric Flowers quietly for the last couple weeks has played pretty well. Pretty well in that he's been playing decently. He hasn't been a liability, and that's what we said at the beginning of the year. He's got to keep getting better, and he has slowly, slowly, slowly gotten better each year. What goes on now? If he if he ends this year being, you know, your thirtieth ranked tackle, what do you do? You have him for a fourth year at relatively cheap, and you roll the dice and see if he gets good or gets to be gets to be to a level you want to re-sign him because going back out to the open market again is not what you really want to do. Um. I've been one of the people who have been more vocal about the fact that Eric Flowers has played left tackle his entire life and moving him to the right side is a mistake. And the reason I've said that is because he wasn't even good at the left side, so moving him to the right side isn't going to make him any better. He's not going to face anyone different there. And, you know, as a point of fact, you know, in the, on the on offensive side, you have guys who play the left side and the right side. On the defensive side, you have guys who look for mismatches. You know what right. I mean? Like, if JPP is going to win on the right side, then we're going to put him on the right side. If he's going to win on the left side, we're going to put him on the left side. You can do whatever you can do to put pressure on. So it doesn't matter. If you got a weak link somewhere, the defense is set up to exploit it however they can. Um, the offense is obviously not set up that way. It's more choreographed. Right. Um, that being said, with Eric Flowers' continued development and just being an average to slightly below average left tackle – if he could move to the right side and you replace him with somebody, say, in the draft or in free agency or whatever. I'm just saying, as he's now increased in his uh, talent level, moving him to the right side is now a more viable option because he's not just going to be a complete liability on the other side. He's going to be the above-average guy on the other side. D- does that make sense? Am I, am I making sense? that like Is it now more yeah. viable that he's improved a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think he's bought himself a fourth year to start. And I oh, think yeah. if we can continue to see that improvement from week one to week 10. And also, quite honestly, I think, you know, led by morons like uh, John Gruden, who just kept harping on how bad he was on you know national TV. So you know, most of the fans get their, you know, their insight from John Gruden. He harped on him a little worse than he was actually was playing. Yeah. So, you know, 
how much has the improvement really been as opposed to you know the media and everybody using him as the whipping boy you know that's for the coaches to, to to tell us and let us know but i don't know i mean if he continues to show this improvement it's not too late i mean the guy's only what 23 24 years old yeah he's he's one of the younger guys on the team it's it's not someone we could say well he's hit his ceiling maybe they're the right side yeah he might continue to improve to become a a, a mid-level offensive tackle and guess what you might be able to sign him after his, or his fourth year to something below market value. And if he continues to prove you have a market inefficiency in your favor. I mean, we know one thing, the right side has to be addressed because Bobby Hart. Yeah. Bobby Hart has, has, sig- not has significantly regressed. Yeah. He's awful. And, yeah. and, and you know what, if, if you had gotten a starting caliber guy out of a seventh round draft pick, then you struck gold, but otherwise you pretty much got what you got out of him. I mean, that's, that's a pretty typical trade. There is guy who's, Maybe good enough for a couple of plays, but is not a long time gap filler. Um, right. And ha- for his credit, has taken the time to learn right guard position as well if needed. So, you know, he can plug in at two spots if needed. But I guess my question is with the Giants drafting in the top five almost indisputably at this point, um, if the Giants were to go for Notre Dame left tackle Mike McGlinchey or Washington left tackle Trey Adams, is is it now? Have you really improved your line? Is it is it worth it to move Eric Flowers to the right side and have your, you know, a guy? I, I know that they're both first round picks in this point. If if I when I say it like that, but I mean these guys look like first round picks in college, whereas. At Miami, at Miami, yeah, but- he didn't look like one. He looked like a young guy who had the raw talent that could be developed. These guys look like developed tackles for the NFL. Yeah, Eric Flowers right now is sunk cost. You can't say, well, he's a first-round pick. Is right. In 2017, he's no longer a first-round pick. Yeah, I just, I just at, at this point now, he's at this, at this point now, he's a young vet that you kind of you can't make your decision. And here's another thing too that you know, if Jerry Reese is no longer the GM, you know, after Week 17. You'll have a GM in here who's not invested in Eric Flowers. It's not his mistake to clean up anymore. Yeah. Where Jerry Reese may be making decisions to kind of, with a little ego in mind, say, no, I'm going to stick with my first round pick. Well, you bring in someone here. It's kind of like having a coach. I'm not invested in this guy. So, Yeah, well, well here, here's the thing. It would be a mistake for any GM to come in in the 2018 season and cut Eric Flowers because he got him on the cheap anyway. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about you know going Long forward. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't have that... He's not tied to a first-round pick that a guy like Reese would be. So, and an outsider coming in is definitely going to have something to say about Eric Flowers immediately. You know, it's to your point of people listening to John Gruden first. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, as this team has fallen apart in the beginning of the season, when everyone—not when everyone is healthy, but you know, when when there was no obvious excuses, the excuse was Eric Flowers. And now that the season's moved on, and Eric Flowers has played well, it's. The conversation has been everything but Eric Flowers. Yeah. And, and I haven't heard his name called at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he I'm, hasn't quit, yeah. which is pretty ironic because people questioned his worth ethic last year. Yeah. You know, and, until he, he came back a little more in shape and everything. And you're right. He's one of the few guys nobody's questioning his his effort level. And, you know, good for him. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is not a full defense of Eric Flowers. There are still big gaps in his game. He gets tricked easily on inside rushes um, where he, he completely loses his technique. Um, he still occasionally lets his head down. In space, when he's running, he gets to the right spot and he just kind of fails to block anybody. 
is like a big thing I've noticed with him where like on those pitch outs where he's kind of running, he gets to the right spot. He just doesn't hit anyone. I, I yep. That being it, said, it, last year at this you, time he wasn't even doing that. So these are yeah. steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean maybe, you know, maybe with, with – you know, the next coaching staff brings in a different offensive line coach. You can all of a sudden say, hey, look, I think we can tweak this and, you know, make some corrections, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess bottom line, all I'm saying is that the more and more I look at this, the more I – and this, obviously the problems are not solely with the offense. But the offense should be – should have been performing a lot better since the beginning of last year and it really hasn't. Um and the more I think that a new offense needs to be brought in, the more I come to the conclusion that Ben McAdoo entirely has to come out because, you know, this is a guy who was brought in for his offense and has now sort of fallen up the chain of command to head coach. And he hasn't really proven he's good at that. So this makes no sense to bring in a new offense that isn't his and have him staying for his coaching abilities. Mm-hmm. So. That's, I mean, you know, when you start looking at head coaching candidates, are you thinking offensive minded guy or defensive minded guy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, what wins in the NFL these days? Offense? I mean, rosters get flipped re- relatively quickly. So just because, you know, with the, we're not close, we're not in any position anywhere close enough to say, well, we are just a head coach and maybe one or two guys away from competing again. So I think you're going to see a lot of, I think you're going to see a lot of dead weight on this roster being, you know, removed in the next year or two. You know, and I said this last week's episodes that it'll be guys you think are, you know, they may be big name guys, they may be big money guys, and guys that have talent. But you know, if we see guys like Janoris Jenkins who are just completely quitting, you may not see them on this roster next year, even though they're a year removed from being a Pro Bowler and make a lot of money. Is there anyone you can see besides Janoris Jenkins not being on the team? That's like a big name, big money. Not really sure. I mean, maybe maybe a guy like Olivier Vernon or something. I mean, does he have a real future on this team? And a chance, you know, we we can maybe cut him for you know get rid of some dead money on the cap or something. It's it's possible. I've I've considered Olivier Vernon. Um, you know, it's it's hard to judge him based on this year. Uh, he missed so much of it, which is uncharacteristic of him. It's also uncharacteristic for him to even be injured at all and all of last year he played with a broken hand and then he was doing his best to play with a severe ankle injury um and then they just kind of curbed him to get better once the season was sunk uh but you know he played pretty well i mean against joe staley um you know he had an interception sniffed out a screen he's he's a savvy guy and he's more more to the point of being an all-around defensive end where he's really good against the run and he's a good pass rusher so i i'm not sure that he's one of them but i've considered it because of the amount of money he's making right right uh maybe jpp's not back yeah that's that's the one i'm thinking it's <laughs> i mean he's it's interesting basically... He, you think he's playing 100 percent right now? I mean, Definitely he finally, not. He he finally got the big contract he wanted. We kind of dicked around a little bit after the, uh, you know, the 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 firecracker incident and everything, and he finally got his big deal, and he's kind of in the shell of himself also. And do we consider him necessarily a leader on this team? I mean, at this point, I think it's it's uh, quits for him. Um, I think yeah. that's that's been his big problem. If you remember the preseason and early on, he was a monster, um, mm-hmm. and I think. He's a guy who is a leader 
but he needs somebody to keep his spirits up. You know what I mean? Like they have – and this was this was said by Daryl Johnson <laughs> on the broadcast is that they have some leaders who are more lead by example and you know they go out there and they'll give it. But they don't have a cheerleader on this team, which I think is the right word. I mean they don't have – Antonio Pierce. Yeah, you know, JT Thomas was really that guy, and his time here is unfortunately over due to due to some. Yeah, terrible, but you know, something you got but... you got you got to play, and you got to be you got to be good to be that leader too. You know, a marginal guy who's never on the field. You know, I know from playing on teams, those guys aren't leaders. They just can't be. Not by you know, you have to do it on the field and off the field to be a leader. But again, I, I we had debated this in the off season. You know. Even when this this losing streak started, is this something? It's like a, you know, a rebuild or a, you know, couple of quick fixes. I think we're at the point now where I think it's almost kind of a rebuild. Well, now, yeah, if you're talking about replacing yeah. a head coach, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table, yeah. Because once you bring in a new head coach, you bring in a new offense, you bring in new pieces for that offense. The whole thing is on the table again. The head hey, coach would, is the would it, uh, the highest. Would it sh- would it shock you if Eli retired after this year? If know. there's a new, if there's a whole new coach, a new offensive coordinator. I mean, let's put it this way: I don't think we are having Eli as much in the decision making process of who the offensive coordinator is going to be going forward, like he did with McAdoo. Yeah, like he true. gave he he gave the blessing to McAdoo. It's not happening for a 37 year old quarterback. Who, I mean, I, I logically speaking, no. Everything about that makes sense. Emotionally speaking, I think I'm going to be shocked when Eli retires, no matter what. Let me ask you another question: You think he'll ever be cut? I think that this front office is tied to him enough, and by front office I mean the upest, the the utmost echelon of the Maras and Tishes that they will discuss with him that he will be cut. It would be, and he'll end up retiring because of it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that he's a proud guy and that he'll think he can play until he's probably forty-two, and he probably could, but uh, I think he'll also prefer to just go out on his terms he's not the kind of guy who's going to want to hear his name dragged through the mud during the free agency process and then be picked up by you know some fucking browns or denver you know like his brother did his brother was an exception um his brother made a a shitload of money um his brother also had a different kind of clout that eli does not have yeah, but Eli, um, Eli's made a shitload of money too. No, I mean on that Denver deal alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Peyton also – first of all, Peyton doesn't carry the same kind of controversy that Eli does where there's people like, is he an elite quarterback? Is he good? I know he's got the two Super Bowls but his interceptions, blah, blah. Peyton never had that. Even when – after his neck surgery, the question was, you know, can he still throw? But, you know, th- that's kind of proven through like a workout, you know, but – but throughout Eli's career, it's been sort of a a debate, a discussion on how good he really is. You know, if his name wasn't Manning, would he be this, that, and the other thing? You know, so there's that. What I mean by the dragging his name through the mud is simply that. You know, as he hits the free agent market, you know, that's the kind of thing that's going to be going on in the media. That's going to be the kind of thing that goes on in, you know. But, we, but we've seen a lot of examples of that in the past, though. I mean – Brett Favre was with the Packers for what fifteen years, and he ended up on four additional teams after. I mean, yeah, but but do you think that's what Eli wants to be on the fucking Jets? If if these guys think they can keep playing, and one one door closes, another one opens. I I know yeah. Eli is proud of himself, 
and he's he's got a level of pride, but he doesn't have the ego that Brett Favre has. Remember, he, Brett Favre is kind of a douche. I don't put Eli in that level of ego, where I think Brett Favre, when he when his time with the Packers was just like a whole other thing that we could get into. When that happened, I think he was just super bitter and out to prove. I don't think well, the same thing is put, happening. Let, let's put it this way. We'll know a good judge of what his ego is if he does, in fact, retire okay. if there's a complete coaching change. Yeah. That, to me, that will tell me he has no ego because it's like I don't want to start over. This team is you know, a 2-14 a and 14 team. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go try to find another gig. Well, in any case, um, sorry this one was a day late. Uh, no big deal, though. Not like you were waiting for our commentary and everything. <laughs> we're past the point of being pissed off. We're just kind of yeah trying to we're, we're trying to find uh, we're quitters light here. at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we're not quitters. We're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll be we'll, we'll be coming to you live uh, Friday morning, um, right to your ear holes with uh, Kansas City Chiefs at New York Giants one o'clock game preview. That'll be full of all sorts of fun things. I'm sure. Plenty oh, of yeah. optimism. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me at football underscore grump on Twitter, and you can catch this broadcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Links will be broadcast through at Just Giants Pod on Twitter. You can find me at the Cranky Fan. I got um, double barrel action this week with my potential hiring of Chip Kelly as my Florida Gator coach. So I'm working double time trying to follow two teams at once and, uh, we edited out a bad part where I said we only had eight carries. That was actually the Gators this week, not the Giants. So sometimes, sometimes I get some bleed on my uh, my numbers and analysis. So all right, well, <laughs> until Friday. Yeah. Say it loud, say it proud. Let's go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.